0: Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to author news weekly. I'm Ari McGee, your host, and we have a action-packed as action-packed as a podcast can be podcast full of news and helpful things to talk to you about this week. But before we get started, let me introduce our stellar panel. I'm going to go backwards this week because I think they're getting a little too comfortable in their ways. So the first person that I want to introduce is Nick Thacker. Oh, yeah. Number one. (laughs) Usually last though. That's right. Well, don't get too comfortable. Uh okay. number two, number two, the the middle, the the cream of the the AW cookie uh is a uh, Pippa Warner. What? Hello. And the caboose of our show today. <laughs> caboose, huh? <laughs> Talk about mixed metaphors. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's- Jim Heskett. I'm Jim Heskett, and I've been called much worse, so that's okay. <laughs> can carry on. Jim the Caboose Heskett.
2: Mm-hmm. Our that's train right.
3: is part Oreo cream. It's There are much bigger problems. You know, uh, sure, sure. structurally,
0: there are issues, but it's very tasty. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I have another question this week uh, for you guys. It's really been on my mind. And I think that it, it's, it has to do a little bit with sexism, and that's a hot-button topic for me. All right? And my question is this. How come Sippy is always a missus? Like, where is Mr. Sippy? You know what I mean? How come Mr. Sippy's not pulling his weight? Is it like a gendered noun like they have in Spanish?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, don't um, I don't even know what we're talking about. I don't even know what <laughs> It took me, me a while I,
3: to get there. I, uh, thank
0: you. I think Pippa got me.
3: Yeah, Mississippi. <laughs> Mrs. Is- Sippy. Oh, not oh, Mr. Man. Sippy. we were <laughs> talking about <Sippy>. cups.
0: Wow. <laughs> no. All right, I'm so sorry.
3: You're going like, should I know who Sippy is?
2: You know why in church we sing hymns and not hers? Because <laughs> we say amen and not a woman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a good anyone? one. Yeah, <laughs> my that's little news for
3: the is week? slowly dying.
0: <laughs> as as you can tell, we are all parents, and so there is going to be some awkward things, mostly said by me. So <laughs> now that we've got all of that out of the way, let's get started on the news for the week. Oh, that's me, isn't it? I was looking at <laughs> articles instead of playing. That here we go, here we go. That jingle never gets old. I tell never. you. I like it very much. Okay, so the first story that I would like to pick your collective brains about uh, is coming to us uh, from the Good E-Reader uh, blog. We'll have a link in the show notes. And this is, it's a, it's a rather ambitious plan uh, by Barnes & Noble. Um, the article is talking about how Barnes & Noble may reinvent itself and how it could save bookstores. So that's, uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty ambitious that they're going to do some things that are going to change uh, bookstores. I, and the first sentence in the article, I think, is pretty apropos. It's that Barnes & Noble has been outrunning the Grim Reaper's shadow for quite some time. So I think that we are all readers in addition to authors. Can Barnes & Noble do anything to save itself from the chopping block? And if so, what would you guys like to see from Barnes & Noble? Uh, let's start with Jim because he's looking the most interested. <laughs> um, I was just curious
1: who you were going to pick. I was just waiting with rapt anticipation. The article says that they're they're trying to improve Barnes and Noble by making them more local uh, and giving purchasing power. I think they say purchasing tower power to the local constabularies and the governors. Um, the Governors will have direct control. Uh, it's a Star Wars joke. Um, okay, so I think this is a good idea in general, you know, because there's plenty of Barnes and Nobles in small towns in red states that don't that don't want to see whatever the Obama's latest book is on a big um, you know big display. And there's certain blue states where they don't want to see Don Junior's book on a big display up at the front. And that's just smart, you know. Um, you're not going to sell a lot of copies of Don Junior's book in Boulder, Colorado, and you're probably not going to sell a whole lot of copies of Becoming in um I don't know whatever tiny town in South Texas. Uh so it's it's just smart to to tailor it toward the local audiences. That's about all I have to say. Maybe will it say Barnes and Noble? Probably not, but it's a good idea.
3: Yeah, it's uh and well, what's the the saying? That which does not kill me only postpones the inevitable. Um <laughs> but <laughs> But yeah, this reminds me, I mean, in a much less serious context of the United States completely reinventing its military after Vietnam and just putting a whole bunch of the decision-making power on the individual unit, because they can respond faster. They know exactly what they're dealing with. They know what's, what's happening in their immediate area. And that was immensely useful. I don't know if it translates into book sales as well as it did into military tactics, but Seems like it's at least a good idea. They've been outrunning the Grim Reaper thus far.
2: I think one thing to note here is that um, Barnes & Noble has some problems that go all the way up the chain as well. So even if they can figure out their retail situation, um, there's some issues with ownership. I I mean, without getting too far into the weeds, like um, they've changed owners and CEO and president a bunch of times. And it's, it's one of those things where it keeps getting shuffled around um, as like, I think a way to kind of maybe inject some new life into it. Um, So that's a a piece of it. It it may just be done for, you know, it doesn't matter what they do kind of thing. There's, there's only a certain amount of of stuff the board can put up with before it's like, you know what, just liquidate. Um, But I'm, I'm actually optimistic. I'm hoping that they can come back and, and, kind of be relevant again. And I think their idea of localizing is really good. Um, It's actually, I posted this, I think in our Slack group, like I had some ideas and these are actually old ideas that I had thought of a long time ago. I think the last time I was in a Barnes and Noble, I was like, okay, how would I fix this? If somebody put me in charge tomorrow. And I really think the biggest thing is just making it someplace you actually want to hang out and read. Um, They got rid of all their chairs a long time ago. And I think that was the beginning of the end for me where I was like, I don't want to go and just pick up a book. If I'm just going to go grab something, I'll just go on Amazon and two, to two hours later have it shipped to my house. Um, so I want to go and, and be able to relax with, you know, coffee or something um, and maybe have free coffee. Like just have a little coffee stand. Like, you know, okay. So here's what's funny. I went to a Goodwill once and there was a whole section that had couches and a bunch of books. Like they're used books and then free coffee. And I just like sat there and read some books and bought a few of them. I just thought that was funny because I, I didn't think a Goodwill would be where I would want to do that. But... Um anyway, I, I like Barnes and Noble. I liked Barnes and Noble. Uh I like them less now. I think they can do some things that will drastically improve their uh their product. And uh I don't know. I'm hoping they can come back because I think the world needs a a, a bookstore chain that's that's still around, you know?
0: Yes, yes. Bookstores are always awesome. Always, always awesome. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the whole blockbuster Netflix thing. You know, in the beginning, I think Blockbuster probably could have torpedoed Netflix, but they were so far behind the curve that True. they just kept trying to do things to catch up and it was just so well, late by
3: Well, let's not forget that Netflix tried to sell itself to Blockbuster.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they laughed them out of the meeting and, right. you know, this is what you get. And then, you know, four years after we get Netflix, Blockbuster's putting up blue boxes to compete with Redbox, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what are you guys doing? All right. Well, in any event, I hope it works out. If not, I'm sure we can all find plenty of cool local bookstores uh, that don't suck like Barnes and Noble does sometimes. Um, okay. Let's see, oh yes, there we go. All right. So the next story that we have, uh, it got posted in the Slack group. Uh, I think, courtesy of Nick, and I think I have the the link here to take a look at. And it's essentially the change in policy to ACX's distribution uh, rules. And this is actually really interesting, and I'm I'm very interested about this. And it seems like the gist of it is that if your title uh, has been on sale for more than 90 days, you can convert your distribution type from exclusive to non-exclusive, right and it says in addition all acx right holders uh, have the option to terminate after 90 days of distribution and so that is quite a change from their original rules which were uh if you were exclusive you had to be exclusive if you were exclusive doing a royalty share it was for 7 years if you were exclusive but you had paid for your own production i believe it was for a year and so now 90 days is a little more in line with the way that KU works. And so I'm wondering uh, what you guys think about that. What what would have prompted their uh, generosity in this manner?
2: Uh, um, I'll jump in because I, I just um, dropped a link in. This is on their blog. It was from January 20th. And so starting February 1st is when they are allowing this. And it is good. Um, it's not as good as I thought it was. in reading it more closely – Um, I I reached out to ACX and um, asked them to immediately take all my books out of exclusivity. And their response came uh, pretty quickly, uh, less than a day later. And the lady there was like, hey, you actually have um, royalty share deals, not pay for production titles. So you can't move them from exclusive to non-exclusive. Excuse me. So. What it actually says, um, and I'll just read the sentence here, it says, um, rights holders of DIY, like so you bring your own audio files, or pay for production, where you've paid ACX, uh, through ACX, you paid a narrator, that have been on sale for more than 90 days can convert distribution from exclusive to non-exclusive. However, so, so I couldn't do that. I couldn't just immediately trigger all my titles to go non-exclusive but it also says rights holders with royalty share or royalty share plus deals which are what mine are um, must provide producer consent when making their request we have the option to terminate as long as they've been on sale for 90 days at least and so I sent um, a, a note out to Mike my narrator for a lot of books and said hey um, I don't want to I don't want to terminate our arrangement but I want to change it to non-exclusive so we have to terminate through ACX and then we can choose to sell it however we want. Now, they're in, doing that um, involves some trust. You know, the narrator's got to trust that I'm actually going to pay him, of course. Um, but you know, that uh, barring that, like, there's no reason he should say no to that because we've wanted both of us have wanted to go wide, if you will, uh, non-exclusive with our books for a long time. So, yeah, this is a huge deal. I mean, I'm I'm frankly surprised that Audible slash Amazon is backpedaling so much after the debacle of. Uh, you know, all the, the, the return craziness that we've talked about here.
0: Is that what you think this is a response to the return? return uh, I was again? Just gonna say,
2: maybe, maybe not. Maybe this is something that's a little longer baked, you know, but it does, it does feel coming on the heels of this, uh, this return stuff that they're like, okay, also we're, we're really sorry. We do love you. I mean, last year they took promo codes away, um, changed how all that ran. Then they did this return bullshit. Um, did we just earn our explicit content merit badge? I think we did. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, my bad. And then this comes less than a month later from a lot of that. And so I can't help, but think they're trying to, I've talked too much, but I think what they're doing is they're realizing that they're not the only game in town anymore. And so they're like, Hey, we have to stay relevant. We have to stay attractive to authors and narrators. Um, Even though they're a huge entity of Amazon. um,
1: I think they're just looking to be competitive still. Um, I have some thoughts on this. there I have some thoughts I'll say for our story number three about um ACX paying authors. But Amazon is just doing a lot of weird stuff with audiobooks lately. i I don't think that whatever for whatever reason they're allowing people to go from exclusive to non-exclusive. I don't think it's generosity, as you said, or right, there's probably some kind of sinister underlying reason for this. But, um, I have been through the process of, changing uh, uh an audiobook that's royalty share because i had um uh years ago i put out like a short story collection with three stories and i took it down from amazon but i had an audiobook cuz i didn't know what i was doing so i had hired this guy to do or did royalty share with this guy to do like a 45 minute audiobook it was just a bad idea for several reasons but then later i wanted to take down that the short story collection add a bunch of new stories to it and put it back up cause it would be a lot longer. I thought that was my thinking. I still didn't know what I was doing when I did this, but I contacted ACX and they said, you know, it's royalty share. So we need permission, you know, like you need something, we need something written from the producer, from the narrator that says that they're okay with this. And so I contacted the, uh, the narrator and we worked it out. Basically he was like, uh, you know, I said, I'll pay you a fee. We can agree. Uh, and then we could break the contract. And he just said, sure. And then so we just we had to both write into ACX and say that that's what we wanted to do, and then they dissolved it without a whole lot of fuss. It just took a bunch of back and forth emails, and, and it took like a month' worth of back and forth emails to get it all settled up. but they didn't raise any fuss, and they took down the old book and let us put up a new book. Hmm.
2: I've done that a few times with <clears throat> um, a different – so I changed the title of The Golden Crystal to The Atlantis Stone and I've changed um, my, one of my relics uh, – series called Relics from three books to one omnibus kind of thing. Um, and in doing so, I've, I've changed narrators and they've always – you know, as long as I've had the producer write in as well, they've always um, come down on our side with it. Uh, most recently, I just asked the producer if I could get out of the arrangement completely. Um, and you know, we were not making any money with the book. So it's not like he was, he was out a bunch of money. Um, but all he asked was just, you know, Hey, if you produce this again, just give me the right of first refusal. Um, and so, and we don't have a contract. It's just an email back and forth that I told him, sure. You know, if I, if I do anything with this, you were a great narrator, you know, you probably will be in the future. So we did, we sent an email in and within a day, ACX was like, sure, we'll take it down. No problem. And I think that was maybe four years into the seven year arrangement. So yeah, I'm with you, Jim. I don't think Amazon ever does anything out of uh, generosity. Um, I think there's some very clear intention here that they're going to do something. Although I'm really curious as to what it's going to be and why they would take this tack with with authors.
3: Hmm. I'm not. I don't necessarily think it's it's sinister. I think it's more of a what on earth is coming down the pipeline, or were they seeing in their data that we don't know about that was like unstoppable force, and they're just trying not to get completely bulldozed by this. Maybe um, it's
1: something sinister, and that's why Jeff Bezos
3: got out now. It could be. Before the end came. Audiobooks are just killing all of Amazon from the inside, and he's running away.
0: Mm. They've achieved sentience, and they're coming after the oh, programmers. It's <laughs> the clear answer to me. <laughs> right on. Well, before we try to figure out what uh Amazon's motives would be let's uh let's stay motives in the future would be let's stay in the present a little bit and realize that you know they're kind of hosing us authors to begin with with our audiobooks now this next story it comes to us from ally uh, which is the alliance of independent authors uh, it's a very very in-depth write up about how audiobook authors and narrators are paid by Audible and ACX uh, by someone named Colleen Cross, who I don't know, but I should have shot her an email because uh, this article is very in-depth. And what it essentially boils down to is that despite the fact that we are told that we can get you know, 50% uh, royalty rate if we're exclusive or 25% if we're wide with our audiobooks, The actual net royalty or the effective royalty, as uh, Colleen Cross calls it, is much, much lower. And it looks like that if you have a royalty share uh, and you are exclusive, your effective royalty is 10%. Now, that would be 10% for you, 10% for the narrator. Um, If you're not exclusive and you don't have a royalty share, it's looking like 30%. So uh, these numbers are kind of a kick in the crotch a little bit, and I will say that after looking at my ACX statement every month and wondering why the number of books that I'm selling doesn't seem to translate with the royalty I'm receiving, uh, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, Did you guys get a chance to check this out, and uh, how depressing is it?
3: It's super depressing. Very
0: depressing. Sobering
1: is also another word you could use. Yeah. Yeah, you see how many books you need to sell to break even, and it's twice as many as you thought you needed to sell to break even. That is a very sobering thought,
3: or not Um, so much sobering as driving you to drink.
1: Sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: unsobering.
2: Yeah, I'm going to back out of that one because it does not take much to drive me to drink. So, (laughs) Um, (laughs) so and she, I think uh, this is incredible work by Colleen. Um, I have come to the same conclusion. I've got a spreadsheet um, that last year about this time. I started tracking and digging because I was selling thousands of ebooks or audiobooks a month, and just making pennies on that. And I was like, "What is what's going on?" Um, so she's done a great job breaking this down. Now she's only, as far as I can tell, she's only using the Audible Listener royalty category, AL, in your ACX report. Um, you'll notice there's there's two others though. I think it's like what ALC and then something like that, mm. and them have different um, payouts, and and it's real convoluted, and I'm sure that's on purpose, but. Um, I've done the math on all of them, and yeah, this is exactly what I have found too. Or it's just, you know, they say on their website, "Hey, you're going to get fifty percent." Oh, but then you have to split twenty five percent with your narrator. Oh, but then you're, that fifty percent is only after you know we've taken our fees out, and they don't actually tell you how much that translates to. But like this one, if you've got like mine are all about ten to twenty hour ebooks, or I can say that audiobooks. So the retail price is twenty four ninety five. And uh, if I was non-exclusive, I would actually make $3 on that book, on, on that sale. Um, so s- clearly there's some some money being funneled into some pockets before they get to mine. And uh, that's, I think, just egregiously wrong and absolutely typical.
1: So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. but Well, there's a difference between the A.L., the Audible Listener, uh, A.L.C., A.L.O.P., and I can't remember what the third one's that's called. It's but it's A.L.O.P., yeah. One is Audible Listener purchased with a credit. That's the one you get stiff the most on. And then, okay. so, yeah, the other ones are like, if somebody buys, buys a Lop is audible Correct. listener, original purchase or other purchase, okay. like someone who already spent their credit. So they, an audible listener who bought your book, bought your audio book. And then the third one is someone who's not an audible, doesn't have a subscription and they bought it. You make the okay. most money on that one. I think,
2: I think, okay, I think so. But they're all pretty, they're far lower than what you would imagine. You know, somebody's, Spending 25 bucks on their platform, and yeah. you think you get 50% of that split either between you and the narrator or just, you know, you uh
1: and you don't. So yeah. I think I think Amazon doesn't really care about audiobooks. I think they just don't want to cede that ground to Apple, you know, the other the other really big audiobook seller. They don't want people to start buying audiobooks on Apple. They don't want Apple to create a whisper sync kind of thing like they have. Uh, with Amazon that syncs up your ebook and your audiobook because they don't want people to start buying books on Apple. It's I think it's all just about market share, and so Amazon is just trying to run Audible as cheaply as possible.
2: But then in that case, how? I mean, why, Amazon is known for creating lost leaders in market to to gain market share. Um, you know, and so why not turn Audible into not a a, a cash cow that's going to bleed authors, but the opposite? Why not? Make it an attractive deal. I don't need to make a ton of money on these audiobooks, but I'd like to feel like I'm making something. Um, so why not actually give us fifty percent or more because they don't need all that you know percentage and attract all these offers authors and get us exclusive because they have the biggest platform already. They're connected to our ebooks already. They're like you said, whisper sync with Kindle. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons I want to use Amazon to sell my audiobooks.
3: I think the answer the is imp- is that it's taken us this long to notice on a wide scale. We didn't know about the returns. We didn't know about the royalties. Like you said, you had noticed this. um, But for a lot of people, this is going to be one of the first times that they're hearing about it. Right. And so the answer is simply that they could get away with it.
0: Yeah. For this long. And if
3: they, I mean, now they're scrambling. Now they're trying to get authors to stay in, but they didn't have to before.
2: Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm, I'm commenting on Jim's statement of like right now, now that they're realizing it uh, it, now that they realize somehow that, um, they've just now realized that Apple is still a thing and they've just now realized that authors have other options like find away voices, which I love. And, you know, um, just all, all these different options of selling direct even, uh, with their audiobooks. why not just say, Hey, you know what? We, we want all you authors, um, to stay with us. So we're going to increase the royalty payout to 80%. You can split that however you want. Um, and then we're gonna actually give you more money for this stuff. And if we have to, you know, clean house and fire a few people, um, sorry, but you know, like I think authors are more the people creating the content should be the most important people in a business that sells their content.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. traditional. They won't
2: be, they won't be, yeah. and they never are with Amazon, but that's my that's kind of my bottom line.
3: Yeah. Mm. yeah I should have it. a much, much more, more cynical view of, of, of them trying to continue throwing people scraps and not making changes and being like, okay, will it blow over? Right. Let's just say it probably will. Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, you know, the problem is all of my audiobooks are, uh, non-exclusive. You know, I paid my narrator to, to put them all together and, uh, you know, it's tough to get traction on some of the other, the other platforms. And so, uh, it would be nice if some of the other platforms came up with some viable ways to get back a little more of that market share because, you know, Apple is not very appealing for me every month. Uh, so in any event, all right. So now that we all have headaches from how Amazon's trying to, uh, mess us around with our audiobooks, uh, I wanted to bring your guys's attention to a, uh, an older article from Joanna Penn and it was, uh, a podcast that she had, uh, "How to Be a Healthy Writer" uh, in 2021 with Doctor uh, Ewan Lawson, and uh, I think for anyone who spends a significant amount of time uh, at the desk, you know, hunched over typing, looking at the blue screen all day, uh, you know, we all have some things that we deal with, both physically and mentally, to try to make us uh, uh, remain at at our our best while we uh, endeavor to finish these books. So. I was wondering if you guys have any uh, any tips or anything special that you do or anything that you can pass along uh, as you try to preserve your bodies uh, for the marathon that is our uh, our writing careers. So uh, let's see who looks like they have something good to add. Damn, Pippa looks like she's got something awesome to add. Right
3: <laughs> well, I think one of the the specific things with writing that it doesn't look like is is touched on in here is the overarching belief in creative enterprise that your creativity and good art comes from misery. <laughs> um, and I think that really just needs to be staked through the heart as soon as possible. Um, Cause we see, we keep seeing it come up. We see it in music, we see it in with actors, we see it with authors. Um, and so simply giving yourself the permission to keep you know, chanting to yourself or tape on the edge of your monitor or whatever. My best work comes from my health. is is a surprisingly out there sentiment uh, given what tends to be a, a low grade background noise belief of you know the harder I work, the more exhausted I am. That makes me a better writer. The more I sacrifice to be a writer, that's that's the measure of who I am. And it's not. You need to keep being a whole person, and that's where your best writing comes from.
0: So you mean sacrificing your physical and mental sanity at the altar of the creative gods is not the way to go?
3: I, I don't think so, no.
0: Okay. No. All right. No, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> but isn't that just the stereotypical American work ethic that
1: you're not really achieving unless you're almost dead every day?
3: I think there's a little bit of that, but then there's also, you know, I remember people saying straight out in oh Lord, what Metallica album was it? Like, oh, it's great that he went to therapy and he's happy now, but his music just isn't as good anymore. Like
0: Sane Anger, maybe. After <laughs> like, Sane Anger.
3: <laughs> um, and it just the the idea of we keep telling actors and singers and all of this. And you're like, Oh, but you make such good art when you're completely tortured as a person. Like, mm. eh, eh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. Not always true. We also lose a lot of good artists because they burn out or, you know? Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, sleep is my sleep. answer. Sleep. <laughs> I mean, and and I, so here's the deal. Um, for people who already think they know how much, how important sleep is um, it's, it's more important. That that's kind of what I say. It's like, I am, I'm so huge a fan of just getting good sleep for longer periods of time than we think is necessary. And yeah, I think it goes into what Jim is talking about with just the the, the common work ethic right now, at least in America, is this idea that, you know, if you're not red eyed and bleary and and you know just busting your ass day and night, like you're not getting enough done. And I just I hate that. I think it's bullshit. Um, and so sleep, I think a big part of what um, creatives especially authors we tend to be isolated whether or not we um, are extroverted or introverted we're kind of isolated in what we do I've realized that I think most humans um, especially men it seems that men that I've talked to um, deal with some form of anxiety either mild or uh, major in some ways or you know but it's chronic it's this um, feeling of dread or something like that and and I think that's uh, sometimes sleep is is all we need to kind of fix some of that but um, just being really in tune with what anxiety actually is and how it manifests is really, really crucial for my career and, and my health. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to do a whole, we could do a whole podcast episode about anxiety, I think, but um, not enough time for that. But th- those are the two that I'll say is be aware that anxiety is a thing and it's, it could be affecting you
1: um, and uh, get more sleep. Even if don't, you you uh, I'm sorry, don't uh, Jay Thorne and Rachel Heron have a podcast specifically about this topic, about Health and Wellness for Writers. I think they have one. If they do, yeah, let's get a link to that.
2: Um, I haven't heard of it. I know I've been on um, Adam Croft's podcast, Mm -hmm. and we've talked about um, anxiety and stuff in the past. That was a good one
1: as well. The Writers Well. The The Writers
2: writer's Well? well.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's that's Jay and Rachel's podcast. Cool. Cool. I'll check that
3: out. Yeah, I think it's – and obviously – We don't want to take too much time on this, but also um, just to tag on to what Nick said, if you're thinking, oh, anxiety, depression, any of those things, those don't really um, relate to me. uh, Look up the ways in which those can manifest. Um, For instance, depression can often manifest as anger. um, And so that's not the the mental image people have of it. So uh, just look up some of those things and and see if they resonate. Go from there.
0: (laughs) Yes, right on, right on. Well, all right. Well, now that we've just talked about that amazingly uh, depressing subject of the audiobooks killing us and uh, the writing killing us physically and mentally, uh, we come to the point of every episode where I want one of you guys to please tell me something good so I can feel better before we end this podcast. So who's got something good to tell me?
3: All right. I found a super cool editor. Really? Yes. Yes. A really awesome editor who is super invested in um, epic fantasy, which is the thing I'm writing right now, and is very excited about, like, is doing a whole package deal with a developmental edit and then a copy edit and all of that. Um, And just, I'm so excited to work with them.
1: Man, that's second only to a VA who knows how to run ads.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the dream.
1: <laughs> There's the You're unicorn, right?
3: Fantasy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could write it. next right, could write a whole fantasy book about that. <laughs> the
0: magical that's right. VA. No, that's great stuff. I know I I have a very good relationship with my editor and uh just feels good to have someone who's kind of pulling for you and helping to steer you the right direction sometimes. So I know how good that feels. So congratulations on that. <laughs> That is tough to find. Well, all right. Well, does anybody have anything they want to say to kind of wrap up any of our stories for today? Any sure.
1: Here's here's some writer self care. Just because you can write six thousand words a day doesn't mean you should. Mm. Doesn't mean you always should. Sometimes mm. it's okay to have a light day and let your brain heal a little bit before um before pounding out six, you know, four or five chapters a day. You don't always have to do that.
2: Well, there's always more energy drinks to drink, Jim.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's always more bang and Red Bull and
0: rain.
3: <laughs> we we decided to go sharply the other direction from our earlier advice. <laughs> if there, yeah, if you haven't
2: picked up on anything we've said,
0: uh, if you can't write 100,000 words a day, you, you are weak. Yes, your exactly. career might not last. Well, okay. Well, for all of us at A&W, thanks for tuning in. And I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.
3: Bye.